Hello and welcome to the EV Quest Podcast Christmas Special. I'm Adrian Maben, and this episode I look back on 2023 and look forward to 2024. Soon I'll be chatting with special guest Riz Akta from Carloop in Australia about the year. First up though, I'd like to thank everyone who has listened to this podcast during the year. It's been great to see the audience grow in 2023, not only in New Zealand, but in a host of other countries. A special thanks to all my guests this year. I've learned a lot about a range of topics. There's amazingly clever people working in the EV and greater sustainability space. The interviews have been a lot of fun. I'd also like to thank the local car dealers and vehicle brand HQs who have allowed me to borrow their vehicles to review. It's always a highlight being able to test out a new EV. In 2024, I plan to expand, enhance and develop this podcast. Maybe a sponsor? Also, over the Christmas break, I'll be putting out some episodes that will be compilations of guests I've interviewed over this year and reviews of some of the cars I've driven. And now for some Christmas cracker jokes. What do you call a boomerang that does not come back? A stick. What happens to elves when they are naughty? Santa gives them the sack. Oh my gosh, those are terrible. So I don't have a musical guest for the Christmas special, but I do have a guest from Australia. It's Riz. And now a review of the year in Australia as I catch up with Riz Actor. Riz is the founder of Carloop, which specializes in Australian EV data, insight, reports, and trends. Riz is also a writer for Australian publication, The Driven. Hello and Merry Christmas, Riz. Hey, Adrian. Merry Christmas. Happy Thank- to be on. I think we've been on a couple of times this year and the lot's changing very quickly every time we chat. Yes, especially in a spot. Okay, not especially. I should say also in Australia. <laughs> I thought I'd maybe just get you to talk about maybe a few highs and lows of the year in Australia. Maybe what what was look looking back, what have been some of the biggest stories for you in Australia this year? A um, couple of really big ones. I think one of the first ones has been how Australia, um, Australian drivers and New Zealand drivers basically have been waiting on affordable EVs to land here. So we've had pretty much three affordable electric cars um launch in australia and i'm 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 aware that a lot of both all of them are in new zealand as well so you've got your uh gwm aura you've got your mg4 and you've got your byd dolphin i think that's really pushed um accessibility of electric cars they're no longer um let's just say the whole myth around evs are only for rich people buying Teslas, but now you have a lot more affordable cars making it to Australian and New Zealand markets, which has been one of the top stories in my mind. In Australia, probably for me, I just one of the things I read about was that um, the Victorian court case. Um, yes, it's um, that's a good one as well, because in Victoria, which is the state that I'm based in, Melbourne, um, we were the only pretty much jurisdiction around the world to be charged for basically penalised to drive a cleaner electric car. Um, it was a bit of a cash grab. And I know the plaintiff who took the Victorian government with another gentleman, both of them I know very well. They took the Victorian government to the court to say this is unconstitutional, we shouldn't be paying for this. A state government isn't allowed to collect the excise. It's only the federal government which sits in Canberra 
So, and they ended up winning. Um, so Kathleen was very happy um, at the end of it. And a lot of EV drivers, not only in Victoria, but also the rest of Australia were very um, interested in the case because most states and territories in Australia were um, had some sort of a plan to bring that type of a tax in. But now that Victoria has lost and the federal government basically took the side of the two plaintiffs, so Kathleen and Chris Vanderstock, they were backed by the, the federal government and all the states sort of got together, huddled up together, tried to go against the two EV owners who said that this was unconstitutional. So interesting outcome, but I think it's um, it was one of the sort of bigger stories, but I think it has implications for not only Australian EV drivers, but also in New Zealand as well, because eventually all governments will try and find a way to stop their reliance on generating revenue on the fuel they sell in the country and move on to how do we pay for roads and other things that electric vehicle drivers that don't pay for fuel, but they pay for electricity at their home or wherever, um, how should they pay for the roads to keep them maintained? Mm, good point. You still be keen to find ways to charge. Anything else? Uh, I saw I that um, that record just got broken driving around Australia in the EV. Is a... Yeah, um, Harold Murphy. I was yeah. in um, Perth last month and I got to meet the main man himself. Um, lovely guy and he seems to do this quite often. And he's just done a whole lap around Australia in 10 days. Uh, it just goes to show that the range in electric cars is improving. So he had a Tesla Model Y and he's done that a couple of times. Um, the charging infrastructure is improving. It's, and if you have the right experience for when there weren't enough charges to now being sort of enough that you can still do a lap around Australia in 10 days, um, you're pretty much an expert. And he's done it a couple of times. So he knows all the tips and tricks. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he was like staying in his car for some parts of the trip as well so he's a man on a mission and he's done really well showcasing to everyone that it can be done today we don't have to wait another five years so anyone that sort of says you know i can't buy an electric car because i can't charge it anywhere this man's just gone all around australia the tens of the you know thousands of kilometers and done it in 10 days so it can happen yeah i find it mind-boggling that someone would drive that far yeah and Anything last, else? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, one one last story, Adrian. I think it's important. I'm not sure. Maybe you can fill me in after I sort of share this. So Tesla now is opening their superchargers to non-Teslas, and as of September in Australia, they have 30 sites, which is roughly 40% of their all sites across Australia are open to non-Tesla vehicles. Now. To me, that is a, a you know a big tick of approval because basically Tesla is doing what they said they were going to do, which is to accelerate the advent of electric vehicles and cleaner energy. So by opening these superchargers up, they're allowing non-Tesla drivers to also be able to use the infrastructure and hopefully help them, give them that confidence and reduce any range or charger anxiety. Um, I think that's important that... If the infrastructure is there, it should be open to a lot more EV drivers and encourage a lot more people to make the switch to an electric car. What's it like in New Zealand? Has Tesla said anything that you're aware of? 
Yes, I believe they have opened up the network partially. My, my return question would be, though, that as a Tesla owner, you're going to go, oh, my gosh, there's all these other people <laughs> in I, my queue kind of thing? No, to be honest, I, I never look at it. Personally, I don't look at it that way. And those people, those Tesla owners that look at it that way, um, they can generally charge at home or they don't use the superchargers enough to know that you're only there for 20 minutes. 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and most, on average, a Tesla supercharger site in Australia has, in 2023, has over six stalls. So you've got six charging bays. And if, you know, if you can't wait five minutes to get a charge because there's people that are non-Teslas that are charging there, then, you know, you've got um, patience and other things you need to work on. But I think it's completely fine. The more, you know... <laughs> The more drivers and the more people that can be encouraged to make the switch from a petrol or diesel car into an electric car, the better it is for us because right. we all breathe the same air. Yeah. I just see these Tesla guys going, oh, no, who's this, what's this Kia turning up kind of thing? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And maybe just on to um, Car Loop, your company, yes. what have you noticed? How's that year gone for you? Um, the year has been quite interesting, Adrian. We've... Um, in Australia, you know, at the end of last year, electric vehicle uptake was around 3.8% of all vehicles sold in 2022 was an electric car. This year, on average, it's been above 7%. So it's nearly doubled. Um, and with more affordable electric cars coming in, there's more and more interest in electric vehicles, not only by the public, but also by industry and companies who are now talking about installing more charges and who are looking at different ways to release products that are suited to electric vehicle owners, which will improve the lives of electric vehicle owners, plus those that are looking at making the switch by having more services available to them. So as that year has sort of uh, come down, for most of the year was sort of business as usual, things were going okay, you know, a little bit of interest, it's, it's fine. But then in the last two, three months or so, somehow it coincides with the New Zealand election. Um, we've had, a lot of New uh, Zealanders have moved to Australia, so that could have something to do with it. <laughs> well, it coincides with the New Zealand election in the sense that on the day the New Zealand election was being held in Australia, we had this referendum that was being organized um, by the federal government. So a lot of attention for most of the year has been towards those very important issues cost of living, the referendum, and a couple of other things. Now that this current government has been in office for over a year and a half now, um, basically they're really starting to look at what they need to do to look at their climate targets. And as they're releasing more and more information, whether it's on the back of the new uh, COP summit that's just being held, or in general, summer is coming and there's a lot of bushfires already in Australia, um, global warming and climate change is becoming a bigger issue. And a lot of the companies are really getting the signal from the government that we need to do something to help get more electric cars on the road, support those drivers. So as that's happening, a lot of the companies are starting to dive into a bit more of, hey, what do we do? And that's when they're approaching us to say, what sort of data is available? Can we make these decisions? And a lot more sort of consulting work as well to help Australia transition. So our motto is very simple you know we provide data to empower australia's ev revolution and we're getting interest from australian and new zealand companies now to 
you know, let's get on with the job. So it's 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 great. Um, I think next year is going to be even bigger and better. Um, but you know, it's we're all working towards that common goal of decarbonizing transport. Mm, that's good, good. And and then what you've done a lot of car reviews for the driven this year. Have you got some say top three EVs you'd maybe recommend, or just like you personally like your top three favorites yourself? Um, yeah, I was um, pleasantly surprised with the Dolphin, um, just the space it has on the inside. And in the same week, I was test driving a BMW i4. And I think there's a lot more space in the Dolphin, which is a smaller car than a BMW i4, and it's half the price. So that's been, I thought that was quite a good car. I also got the chance to do a short test drive in a BYD Seal. Um, in the short time that I spent in it, I think that is uh, an excellent car in terms of the space, in terms of the way it drives, feels a little bit sporty. Um, so if you know if people weren't too fussed on getting an SUV and they wanted to consider something else, I think if you compare that to an Addo 3, um, the Seal feels like a slightly more premium car, but some people want an SUV, other people are quite happy to try a sedan and an SUV. If you're if you're the latter, give the seal a go. I think that was quite a nice car. And the third one that I was pleasantly surprised with, it's slightly unconventional, Adrian. It's the Peugeot E Partner. And this is a basically a small van. And I've seen it, a photo, I think I saw one of your photos of it. Yeah, yes, I have it, seen, yeah, I've seen your. It, it it drives like a it drives like a small hatchback. Really, and it is like for what it's designed for. It genuinely puts a smile on my face just thinking about the practicality of what you can do with that car, and just how easy it was to drive. Um, I think we need more vans and light commercial vehicles in the electric vehicle space. I know Peugeot is also thinking about bringing uh, E-Expert, which is a slightly larger van. Uh, I guess getting closer to the Toyota Highest, which are very popular for uh, the delivery businesses. So, yeah, they're sort of my top three. And if you could only choose one of those three? Um, I would say the BYD Seal mm. would be my pick. That's good. They're just, I guess, it's, I'm more of a, just a sedan person myself, so mm -hmm. you just haven't got that sort of SUV role, I guess, have you? Well, Adrian, it was your video that I saw. You were one of the first people yes, to showcase I was, I was the BYD Seal <laughs> in Australasia. Yeah. And I'm sure I wrote a wrote an article about it as well on The Driven because it was quite, quite good to see the car in person. So you were one of the very first people to see it in yeah. person. I like the interior of it. It's my favorite of the BYDs. It's got, you know, a bit more classy. Yeah. Um, I quite like it. It's good. And on to 2024, um, any sort of, what are you looking forward to into the into the new year? Um, so for those that are aware of the Fully Charged show, um, it's, I think, called Everything Electric Show now. They did the first one in Sydney last year. Oh, sorry, last year. It's this year. It was in March. But in February, they're back in uh, Sydney again. Um, I think I'm looking forward to the vehicles that get launched there and also 
some of the new vehicles because in Europe when they do these sort of shows they bring some brands from China and other places that you do you can't buy yet but just to gauge public interest so I'm hoping that they find the Australian show big enough now to be able to do that to bring some of those vehicles some vehicles we don't see um, in uh, I'm also looking forward to um, from a vehicle point of view um, I think we will have the first I'd like to call it an electric ute from BYD, but I have a feeling it will be a plug-in hybrid. Either way, <laughs> whatever we can get will be interesting to see because if they do make the plug-in hybrid, then there would probably be very soon after a fully electric version also available. So that's a big part of the market that I think I've heard some of your other podcasts, Adrian, where you've spoken to fleet professionals and they say utes are another market that we're missing. Yeah, apparently the Aura's oh, GW Great Wall Motors, they've got a um, plug-in utes yeah. coming in as well. So we need a bit more of that stuff. Um, and I think from the general car's point of view, another brand, if they're, you know, like Zeker or another different brand to enter Australia and New Zealand market would be quite good to see next year. Yeah, you just did um, that article about that video. Um, Their new battery, isn't it? That looks really impressive. The new Yeah, new... like it seems, and apparently it's going to be going into production by the end of like the, the battery's already in production, but it will go into their production sedan, Zika 007, uh, by the end of this month when they start taking orders and customer deliveries are early next month. The, the thing I quite find interesting and fascinating is you've got traditional brands like Volkswagen. It takes them four years to launch a car, like from the time they showcase it, and another three, so seven years cycles they have to release a car. BYD and some of these, let's say, um, brands from China are releasing vehicles on a literally four or five months basis. So even overnight, Adrian, I don't know if you saw, but BYD's launched another SUV called the song l fully electric so i'll be doing a re i'll be doing um a bit of an analysis on it on the driven um next week but it's just it, how quickly things are happening and these cars are made for the globe so imagine if everybody is already here they often mention surprisingly they often mention in china that they are very impressed at the uptake of byd electric vehicles in New Zealand, often. New Zealand is highlighted as one of their key markets. And they usually list Thailand and a couple of others as well, but New Zealand is one of them. So for whatever reason, Australia is not there. Oh, so that's all right. It's, you know, which, which goes to show there's a lot of appetite in New Zealand. Um, could be due to your clean car discount, which I know is coming to an end, but yep, it's, it's lots happening. Did you want to talk about any disappointments Look, I think we I think we need to highlight some of the things that you know you think are um, you'd like to see improve. Yep. So one is an affordable electric Ute. Last year at sort of November, I got to test drive the LDV ET60. It was I know it's been available in New Zealand, and there was a run out for the last generation model, but here in Australia, it was still ninety three thousand plus on roads. Very expensive for what that two-wheel drive ute was. This year, we haven't seen any improvement in the ute space in Australia. There's been no new competition. There's nothing else in the electric ute space. 
And I'm hoping that there is some change coming in 2024 for both Australia and New Zealand. Toyota doesn't seem to be moving anywhere with their electric Hilux, apart from showcasing a prototype that they imported from Thailand. But we need to do a lot more. So I'm hoping that that will change in 2024. And I think one other area that we need to uh, focus on, it may not be as important in New Zealand because New Zealand, my understanding is it's one government that covers the whole country, North and South Island. Um, well, yeah, at the moment we're, we could debate the one government. There's a few in there. But, yes. uh, okay, we'll say we have got one government. Yes, we officially have a government. Yes. So we... So here we have the, I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Victorian court case, we have, you know, federal government, and then we have state government, state and territory governments. I would like to see more harmonization amongst them, because if we can get a fuel emission standard happening next year in Australia, I think it will be beneficial for both countries, because all of a sudden Australia is a larger vehicle market. I'd like to correctly state that. Um, and it's a larger vehicle market, which means that manufacturers have more of an incentive to send more cleaner models to both Australia and New Zealand market. So I think if we can get that happening, that and and the and the sad thing is Australia is like Russia, one of the only countries that Western countries that don't have any fuel emission standards. Yeah, I was if, quite surprised the, when I heard that. But... So if we can change that, I think we will be in a very good position by next year to have many more manufacturers bringing or sending in cleaner, more affordable electric vehicles, um, which is, like I said, better for both countries. So I'm looking forward to turning that negative into a positive next year. Yeah, it's a good thing. That should have benefit us. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, and what about yourself, Adrian? You know, it's not just about what's happening here. What, what have sort of been your, let's say, highlights, and what are you looking forward to next year? I'm going to that the show in Sydney as well, so that's my big highlight. That's my big holiday. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I guess the biggest story in New Zealand was probably the um, the clean car rebate as a thing. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens to that. Um, but I have enjoyed all the cars I've test driven. Yeah, yeah. So um, everyone says every car's been, you know, it's all been good for something. And you uh, were quite impressed with the Mustang Mark E. I didn't mind it actually. I liked it. I've got that in my top three of the year for some. Others may disagree, but I'm surprised how good it was. I thought it was good. A lot of people go, oh, it's not a Mustang, but it's, it's not. <laughs> but um, I'm not a big petrol head, so I, I don't really care. Yeah, but yeah, I liked yeah. it. I, and, I liked it. And what about that? What about the other two? What would um, your... I liked a lot. I'd probably say, I'd, I, um, my top cars are probably in more looking for an affordable ratio. I would probably go the... And the BYD Dolphin, I enjoyed. When that came out, they thought it was actually going to be a little bit cheaper, but I still thought that was good value for money. And probably my number one, MG4. Ooh. Yeah? As affordable value. It, I think I think you're... Yeah, it's one, it, it missed my top three. Um, but I think as an affordable value and, and a fun car, it actually is a fun car to drive because of its rear-wheel drive powertrain. Yeah, I noticed that, and I, li- I like the styling, and it drove well. 
it, it did. And one of the key things that I find with the MG4, well, actually the only thing that I think could have been only the problem with the car that I was test driving was yeah. the um, lane keep assist or the, you know, the auto steer function. I found that was, that could be improved. Yeah. But apart from that, the car was, I, I thought it did pretty much a lot of things well. Yeah. Um, and then it's up to the individual whether they like the slightly more futuristic look of the mm. BYD Dolphin on the inside um, or a slightly more sportier look and drive of the MG4. So very good pick. Yeah, that was good. One other thing, though, was like just with that lane assist, a lot of them have that sort of problem. And then one criticism is like all the bings and bongs, all the safety features. Like today I got my car was in to get new tires and I had the courtesy car and it was an old Nissan manual. It was fantastic. There was no noises about it. It was just, you know, it was like analog. There were no beeps, no bongs. I just drove it. There were no lane assist issues. It didn't try to redirect me through the steering wheel when I went off off the lane a little bit. So that was actually quite enjoyable. I know it doesn't have the safety features, but it's quite relaxing to have none of that happening. I think that's uh, one of the big... Um, areas to areas of improvement that I think manufacturers can do is get rid of a lot of those beeps and let people choose. I think that's one thing uh, that Tesla does quite well. They let people choose. If they roll out a new feature via uh, over their update, they let you choose whether you want to turn it on or not. And how intrusive do you want it to be? I think if people if, if a lot of other car manufacturers uh, particularly those affordable car manufacturers if they can take this as a bit of feedback that a lot of those alerts I think can be should be able to be let's say toned down if we need mm. to via software updates and let the drivers choose I think it will improve the overall experience a lot of people in Australia at the moment are getting deliveries of their seal and I haven't had enough time behind the wheel to be able to i guess verify this but what people are finding is a lot of the lane keep assist and other beeps and things that are coming from the car um, that are safety orientated let's call them features um, people want to make sure that they can be muted or toned down and so i think that's one area that some of the newer brands in the market can take that feedback on board and hopefully have teams work on it and can be fixed or updated with over-the-air updates. Otherwise, it causes a, let's call it a slightly unpleasant ownership experience. Mm. And you hear people say that you can turn them off, but then they reset every time you start your car up again. So that would probably, yeah, I find it, I've got out of some cars and I'm going, man, I really enjoyed it and I did feel safe, but I do feel a little bit stressed from all the <laughs> all warnings the and the red light flashing. <laughs> That would be my only criticism, but yeah. Well, that's great, Riz. I think that sums it all up, and we'll see you in the new year. Thanks, Adrian. Um, awesome to be on again, and yeah, you've done an amazing job this year and covering all the variety of topics and news that you bring to everybody on EVQuest. So keep up the good work, and I look forward to you know, being part of it next year. Thanks very much. Thanks again for tuning into this Christmas special. Make sure to follow the podcast so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Also, if you have a moment, 
a rating would be fantastic. I'm thinking five stars. And Merry Christmas to you and your family.